0: Ciao! I'm Alice Rosthorne. Welcome to the Enzo Mari Costellazione podcast series, a collaboration between me and Hans Obrist, curator of the Enzo Mari retrospective at Triennale Milano. And a very, very warm welcome to the stars of this episode, the acclaimed Italian design duo, Simone Faracin and Andrea Tremarchi of Former Fantasma. So, hello, Andrea and Simone. Hi, Alice. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> Now, Simone and Andrea have worked together since they met at design school in Florence. When they applied to study on the master's course at Design Academy Eindhoven in the Netherlands in 2007, they asked to do so. On one place, not two, as joint students, the Academy said no, but eventually allowed them to submit a joint graduation project in 2009, which they signed Forma Phantasma. And from then onwards, their work has been exquisitely composed and fabricated, yet always steeped in historic and contemporary politics, including rural poverty, the climate emergency, the depletion of natural resources, Italy's colonial heritage and its craft traditions. Former Phantasma has also experimented with industrial production by developing a very successful series of lights for floss, while also embarking on increasingly ambitious design research projects The first of these was commissioned by the NGV in Australia, Antrianale Milano, and investigated the vast, often illicit, global trade in digital waste. And the second, Cambio, which was commissioned by the Serpentine Gallery in London, applies the same rigour and incisiveness to one of our biggest and most destructive industries, the international timber trade. Their recent projects include the launch of a new course in geodesign at Design Academy Eindhoven and the design of two exhibitions, one on Bernini and Caravaggio at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, the other a celebration of the 125th anniversary of the Venice Biennale in the central pavilion of the Giardini in Venice. So, Andrea and Simone, when did each of you first become aware of Enzo Mari?
1: In my case, it was quite um, in an early stage of my life because I was interested in design already when I was sixteen and, and in an art school. And uh, one day, I realized that Enzo Mari was coming in our um, art institution to do uh, the to give a prize for a, a ceramic contest. And I waited him outside the, the school because I wanted to uh, get suggestion from him where to continue my studies. And, of course, he told me that all design schools are crap. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) he suggested me to to go to Florence, which is what I did.
2: Well, for me, study was a different story because, of course, I knew already Ensomari before, but reading more through a uh, history book. But then I really got to know much better the work of Enzumari while studying at Isia, when actually we also met with Simone. Uh, Isia was the first school in Italy, it was born after the economic boom in the 68, uh, and it was actually founded by most of the radical of that period. So Enzumari's work was really part of the DNA of, of the school, uh, and then I got to know much better the, um, the work of Mari back then.
0: And for the benefit of listeners, as we have two interviewees um, on this particular episode of the podcast, the first speaker was Simone, who has um, a slightly deeper, more languorous voice. And Andrea um, was (laughs) the second speaker who speaks Uh, much more rapidly. So you'll find no difficulty from now onwards in distinguishing them. Um, So Mm -hmm. when did you next encounter Enzo Mari after that? I mean, As you've explained, he was a big influence over your design school in Florence. Was he present at the school at all?
1: Um, I think uh, only a few times. And uh, then uh, we had the chance to get a tour of his exhibition, the work at the centre at the Triennale. So that's where I I had the chance to hear hear him speaking about his own work. Um, But... Um, you know, in Italy, when you study design, it's impossible to, to not be aware, to not be confronted with his legacy, since he really set the standard for, you know, how to be a designer um, internationally.
2: Well, and I think the second time, actually, the first time I, I saw uh, Ensomari was um, during the Salone of um, 2010, while we were presenting a work in the basement of uh, Galleria uh, Rossano Orlandi. And the work was called Autarky. And of course, you know, it was really into the court of Ensomari. And uh, he was actually shouting throughout the exhibition. But when he came down to the basement, he was very calm and he started to. To discuss the work in a very uh, interesting and nice way, and uh, I, we have a super nice pictures of him like preaching in front of our objects with light <laughs> on the back and was looking like Saint Peter, and uh, but that was actually the, my first and last and last time I saw Antonio.
0: Yeah. And an otaki was actually based on Italian traditions of bread making. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And one of the things that Enzo Mari is particularly fond of is bread, which he considers to be core to Italian identity.
1: We, we feel the same. We even did a, uh, we designed a cover for Domus featuring a loaf of bread. So we share also that interest with
0: Mari. <laughs> and what, what do you believe he stands for in design?
1: Well, you know, when you are Italian, you know, the, the the figure of Mari is so much like as the real Italian design master, that it's uh, impossible almost to um, define its grandness. But I think what is really, truly uh, great about his work is that he's the one that the most, uh, both theoretically and uh, with his projects, uh, set uh, an ethical standard in design. And he made the discipline much more expansive you know he never really focused only on the formal side of design but also focusing on the ethical really implications of, of the discipline
2: yeah, I think he was the only one that was really trying to look in a much more realistic way, the implication of production. I think, of course, he was at the time not so much into like an environmental implication of design, but I think because it was not just really the right time. But I think if uh, it would be much more active in our days, for sure it would be uh, the perfect like designer to, in, uh, to be involved like into thinking a different way of producing during um, climate change.
1: I think that, for instance, he's thinking about uh, labor and not only about the user of his objects is extremely relevant even nowadays. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, as designers, we are interested in uh, keep on exploring.
0: And also um, his obsession with consumerism and the dangers that it can pose obviously is rooted um, directly towards the climate emergency and sort of contemporary concerns about that, whereas consumerism was a much more present um, focus in the 60s and 70s. So do you see him as part of a tradition or a broad movement in Italian design or as a sort of lone gunman?
1: I would say that he's more of a solo player. I mean, you know, when we think about uh, radical architecture and radical design in Italy, we have several examples of that, but I think he's the real, uh, you know, radical and uh, and I always consider him a solo player. But I also have to say that Italian tradition is extremely, um, you know, rooted in this uh, very eclectic. Uh, figures, if you think about Sozzos, Castiglioni, Imari, um, and many others, Gioponti, they are all uh, extremely different. So I think this is also this eclectic uh, side of Italian design is also very peculiar.
2: Well, I think compared also to the other um, radical, for instance, period, they were, you know, really discussing about the implication on a political level uh, of design, the political level of design. He was really the only one that was really trying to not only speaking about it, but trying to make it. And I think that make probably the difference between all the others.
0: Indeed, though, as a foreigner, I've always felt one of the huge strengths of Italian design is that it's absolutely rooted in Italian culture and in the intelligentsia. Mm -hmm. Mari's focus obviously being on politics rather than literature, art, and so on. But I think that gives such a powerful cultural and intellectual context to the whole community. Um, so Absolutely. in terms of Maury's political beliefs and the defining principles of his work, um, could you describe those with reference to specific examples of his work and design?
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think something very interesting when we speak about and we think about Ansumari as uh, really political uh, aware, um, I really remember like a super nice paragraph of the book of uh, Ansari Cobris, that interview Ansumari. And if you allow me, I want to read a very small excerpt of it because I think that's really exemplified very well his thinking about uh, politics. And so he says, like, in those years, my political disposition was naively leftist I thought, for example, that inside a factory, there could exist an untamed man, not conditioned by culture's degradation, who was able to see things for what they truly are. And so I began to create models of common objects. I was interested, and still am today, in creating not only objects that are really banally useful, but a model of annihilated work for a different society. If I ingeniously try to make art accessible to all, including myself, to give a form to expression, then we design and nightly try to make those who work in an elated manner aware of the transformative work. I was so obsessed with the needs that influenced me in every medium art, graphic, game for children, chairs, architecture, and helping me avoid failing into the rituals of professionalism.
1: I think one of the examples of uh, his work that we absolutely love is the java uh, melanin container it's it's a box that you can use for either uh, parmesan or sugar um and the reason why we love it is because uh described it as a reflection on on uh, labor because uh, when designing the lead he really wanted to remove any inches um, because he didn't want to have uh, somebody in a production line uh, all day placing a spring t- for the movement of the lid, and he ingeniously designed a, uh, a system that didn't need any uh, additional element uh, apart from the lid and the and the container. And I thought that was extremely thoughtful of him, and it exemplifies his thinking. I think in the best possible possible way.
2: Well, and the same in the same line. There is another project we love a lot. Is the Proposta per la lavorazione della ceramica a mano is like called the proposal for um, hand uh, working of ceramic, and it's a project from Danese of 1973. And what is interesting there it is almost taking the opposite stance. He says, you know, like there is ceramic where, it, in any case, there is a lot of hand work involved, but most of the time, again, is about repetition. So he almost creates modules of small bits of ceramic to make, uh, and he didn't give like really instruction to the ceramic. So the ceramics could really play with it. So to again uh, take away alienation within uh, within the work. So, the and third the one.
1: The third
0: project.
1: Yes, uh, another project we really love is Vaso Rotto per Forza di Levare. It's uh, actually a project of '94, uh, and um, basically it is an extrusion of um, uh, porcelain that the uh, the creation of the object uh, is happening through uh, Mari actually um, breaking completely the top of uh, of the piece so he was trying to introduce diversity into a much more industrial industrial process and if you think about it, these are all concepts that all designers try to um, sort of think through uh, their careers but he's probably the one that most effectively and most clearly um, uh, with his usual, uh, sharpness formalized into objects.
0: he does have a brilliant propensity to translate theory into form and, and function in, in such a meaningful and um, refined way. I mean it's do, has he been a direct influence um, over your work or do you feel that it's more that his sensibility has influenced and inspired your practice?
1: I think it's much more about his sensibility. I would also say this throughout the years, you know, I had moments that I loved him, but uh, there has been moments that I also really hated his, um, you know, attitude and totally lack of uh, generosity, I would say, for younger generations or beliefs in them. Uh, but in the years I made peace with it. And um, I think he's definitely an influence in our work, but indeed more as um, on an attitudinal level than, a direct inspiration.
2: Yeah, and something that I think is important also to, to, to say that one of the, I would say, the problem of Ensomari uh, also heritage uh, is the fact that Ensomari, I mean, did a, su- such an amazing body of work. He did, like, more than 100, uh, 100 800, sorry, 1,800 works in his life. But um, most of the time, he was really trying not to compromise at all his work. And I think what we also understood with our work nowadays that we need to take compromise. So... Uh, and I think it's something that he didn't he really didn't do so much in his life. And I remember also this advertise that he did in Domus um, uh, a couple of years ago.
1: Where um, he, he published this um, a statement where he was okay. saying that he basically couldn't really get any more commissions because uh, the industry was not considering anymore the transformative power of design, which is something that I really understand. So... He's famous to be very irrationable and, and difficult to work with. But I think it is also because over time, the companies and the uh, Italian industry probably wasn't willing to listen anymore to what he had to say.
0: But I mean, one of his many contradictions is that he did have very long-lasting and nurturing mm-hmm. um, and constructive relationships with mm-hmm. a number of large Italian companies and some very special small ones. So almost all his books have been published by Carini, and they're truly mm-hmm. exceptional. Um, and, of course, he had a long and wonderful relationship with Danesi. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, no, indeed. I mean, he was lucky enough to find uh, these companies that really trusted him. and But not only trusted him, they really, I think, grew together. So I think the outcomes of Mari for Danese, for instance, is not only you know the outcome of his work, but it's also about a dialogue with, uh, with the company, with Danese itself. And I think this is something that, for instance, we are really looking forward in our practice to, to be able to find the right company where we can take our more research-based, you know, projects into practice. And, for instance, with our recent exhibition, Cambio and the Investigation to the... The industry of timber, we are really looking forward to find maybe furniture producers or, or producers of, uh, of uh, laminated boards and so on to engage with our ideas. We haven't found that yet, but we are still
0: looking trying
1: to, to accomplish that.
0: Because, of course, yet another contradiction is that um, Mari's sensibility and his defining principles of his ethics, um, the focus on economy, um, courage, the refusal to compromise are all things that so many um, companies proclaim themselves as being devoted to today? Do you feel that um, most of that's just PR, propaganda and nonsense rather than businesses actually investing in being willing to encounter designers like Marie? Uh,
1: I would say so, yes. I think that, um, well, it might also be that a lot of companies have very... um, two-dimensional ideas of what, for instance, innovation is and ecological development is. So they, a lot of companies are still rooted in, a, in ideas that the outcomes of a designer should always be finalized on a product and much less on a, a observation analysis of a, the systematic way of producing things. So I truly believe some entrepreneurs, they... Think that they are committed to ecological development, but they also have a very narrowed down uh, idea of what that what that is. And I think this is what uh, Mari struggled too.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, compared to what was happening before, also with Danese. Danese was a family company, and sometimes in the contemporary time, we are missing those family company that you know they have like a vision that goes out from the four year four year mandate. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's quite important to have this long vision. If you want to make changes, you cannot really think about next year, but in twenty years time. And most of the time, CEO, for instance, in company, they have a vision probably just say four years. So you can really change a lot if you have this short time commitment.
0: No, of course. And a lot of businesses, increasingly, the larger ones are owned by private equity groups exactly. who bought them as investments. So they have even tighter timeframes than that. But can we talk about um, two aspects of your work in this context? One is mm-hmm. um, the design research projects, All Streams mm-hmm. into Digital Waste and Cambio into the global timber trade. Um how, for you, does this complement your practical work as, as designers?
1: When we started our studio 10 years ago, we were really trying since the beginning to merge our more research based um, attitude with collaborations with uh, industrial producers and so on. But we realized over time that was very uh, complicated. So we started initiating with the support in terms of public institutions. Uh, this uh, extremely research-based project the last, you know, even years uh, with the aim uh, in the next 10 years of our practice to possibly find the partners that are interested in this attitude that sees uh, the transformative power of design beyond the creations of extremely well-stylized uh, products. Um, but we also see these um, uh, research-based projects as educational models. And for instance, uh, our... Um, Uh, Geodesign Department at Design Academy Eindhoven, it is the way to uh, also influence a uh, generation of designers such as ours that uh, completely see the necessities of design to move on from this extremely authorial, self-centered perspective of design.
0: And do you feel that um, geodesign, uh, which I would love to hear more about um, from you, is uh, an initiative sort of with a, a Mari-like ethos, with a Mari-like attitude to design?
1: I would say so, even if there are, of course, also differences When we when we work, of course, we um, we have been extremely inspired by the work of Mari, but we are also inspired by what was not there in the work of money And of course, when he was working, um, production was much more local. And I think the magnitude of the problems we are facing today are of a completely different, different level. You know, the, the global scale of design and production is something that poses questions that Mari was not necessarily, um, um thinking of so uh, wh- while he was thinking about durability and timelessness as a ways of approaching ecology I think uh, with geodesign we are thinking of a completely different scale for instance in terms of um, you know exploitation of natural resources exploitations of labor in uh, other than uh, European countries and these are questions that are um, you know, new, I would say, uh, I mean, not really recent, honestly, but the scale of today's um, financial and um, and economic market at large is completely different. Design is uh, must face these complex issues.
2: But on the other side, I uh, truly believe that there is something also related to Mari, because it, Mari was also very believing in... Uh, uh, cross-discipline attitude and it's something that we are also doing within geodesign so both on a tutor level but also on a student's level we are trying to open up the design discipline to you know people that are maybe not very uh, trained as designer or architect so for instance this first year we are going to have like a a, a biologist we have people interested in political science coming from political science so um, we are really trying to uh, open up the discipline to try to find this connection and again through collaboration. So not again only um, uh, with the mentors, but also within the students. So we are trying to set up the, the studio uh, the, the course almost as a studio, so where all the students can collaborate and not only working alone.
0: And do you see geodesign remaining as a, a master's course, a specialist course that students can follow? Or do you feel it's something that should be part of the broader curriculum? So whether um, students choose to focus on textile design, social design, humanitarian architecture, whatever.
1: Um, We can say that we uh, have a group of students that are extremely interested in politics that are, um, uh, you know, uh, understanding that design is not detached uh, from it. So we are extremely happy of that. And I think that things are changing, maybe not as rapidly as we would wish, but um, we see design students really shifting in these years and changing their focus from a much more, I would say, self-centered perspective of design as a form of self-expression to much more as a pragmatic tool for positive change in society.
2: and also as Simone mentioned before, this is nothing new. And also there's an academy, for instance, where we teach, it's there are a lot of students from the bachelor and the master that are interested in the topics that we are trying to explore in geodesign. But there's not an umbrella that uh, is like really trying to connect all these students. So with geodesign we want to become this umbrella.
1: And to respond to your question, uh, I think that, uh, as you know, uh, Geodesign was a master initiated by the Director of Design Academy, Joseph Grima. And I think his idea of Geodesign is not to keep it narrowed down only within the curriculum of the the master. In fact, there is also a Geodesign exhibition platform. And he sees the, the concept of Geodesign possibly even expanding, I think, to the World School.
0: And um, if we return specifically to, to Mori, there has obviously been a significant resurgence of interest in his work in recent years. What do you feel triggered that?
1: Well, definitely the uh, interest in open design and his, uh, uh, of course, brilliant work, Progettazione*, which became really uh, extremely uh, famous again uh, recently, Even if slightly uh, misunderstood, I think everybody's looking at that project as a great example, as it is, of open design. But the idea of Mari was not only about delivering the blueprint for objects that people can do it by themselves, but he interpreted it as a tool for education. He thought that a lot of problems in a way design is treated and understood by people, is there lack of understanding of quality. So he thought that if people could do things by themselves, um, they would understand much better the struggles and the um, and also the reason why good products, for instance are expensive and they should be expensive.
0: Sure, and also he saw it as a, an educational tool in the sense of encouraging people to become handier, better at DIY. The idea that you could mm-hmm. construct um, the auto progettione, the the sort of um, specifications to make wooden furniture from very basic tools, the hammer and the nail, was intended to make people feel more confident about um, taking on other projects. But and that's a, a Obviously a fascinating example of Mari's work, but what's interesting is he's routinely described as having invented um, that methodology, which of course isn't true. I mean, Louise Brigham, (laughs) the US social designer, um, published a best-selling book called Box Box Furniture." Exactly. Rietveld, during World War II, um, made sort of mail order um, specification kits for the Dutch government. Um, So incredible projects by both of them. Um, But (laughs) Mari has sort of swaggered. (laughs) <laughs> to the <laughs> fore um, and, and also not not his his fault. Um, so do you feel that um, the sort of increase of interest in work is also part of a sort of broader, growth of interest in ecological issues, in design, uh, a new focus on consumerism and the problems that it can cause. So it reflects the broader environment as well as being specifically triggered by great projects like Ajo Pradezioni being rediscovered.
1: Yes, I would say so, definitely. I think Auto Pradezioni served as a Trojan horse for the introduction of his work to a younger audience. Uh, but I completely agree with what you just said. Yes, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, he is really like the—I uh, would say—the archetype of um, the, in a way, the perfect designer in terms of his engagement with uh, with complex, uh, complex subjects that he managed to translate in effectively in very tangible and understandable works.
0: So, Andrea, how would you sum up Murray's long-term legacy for design?
2: Well, for me, it's this idea of consciousness that infuses the design discipline, this ethical component that everybody, when designing, should uh, take care of. Uh, I think that's when you look and you live through all the books and the wrote and uh, the design that you did, you know, it's something that uh, I think will remind us in the future, you know, that, you know, that is good design. A good design should not be only about form, but it's also about, you know, everything that's around uh,
0: the forum. Well, that's a wonderful note to end on. So, thank you both very much um, for sharing your memories of Enzo Mori but also your observations for defining your own careers in in design, um, with Mari's sensibility in mind. Arrivederci. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao <guys. laughs> thank you. Ciao.